Hello and welcome everyone. This is the Friday Field Notes podcast, which is my in-between show for everything else I forgot to mention or didn't get time for on the full episode. But as you will see, it's not Friday. I'm releasing this early. This is a show which is much shorter than the others, but I just want to share things I may have missed on previous shows, a few updates and my experiences in the field. Now, while I was travelling last week, something I forgot to mention to you on the previous show, I was in an airport and they had these food lockers. So you could go up to a touchscreen, order some coffee and some uh, food, and it would appear in 10 minutes in one of the designated lockers, which you can then open with the QR code. Now, as you know, I'm a big fan of using alias names in these situations, and I'm glad I did. I noticed the the confirmation text, which came through to one of my, my pseudo numbers, had a link to view the status of the order. But the URL ended with an order number, and you could literally just uh, deduct a, a number from it, um, decrease it by one, add an extra number to see other people's orders. Now, it didn't reveal too much, but it did reveal the full name and telephone number of who placed the order, which is why I always advocate for using alias names with apps such as these. Now, as I mentioned in a previous show, I use DoorDash, I use Starbucks to the uh, surprise of many privacy enthusiasts. But because I do this in alias names, I've reduced the the damage potential when a breach happens, which is the core concept of zero trust, always assume a breach. Now, I have had to make a few changes. I have just launched my website, lockdown.media, and uh, I started getting a lot of emails, and I'm talking a lot, and it's been really great hearing from listeners. I didn't expect to be getting uh, any emails, let alone the, the amount I have. There were a couple of emails, though, just two, that were more on the negative side. One of them said I was just copying the content from Naomi Brockwell's new book on privacy. I'm actually quite flattered. I've never read the book yet, but obviously I'm doing something right if that's the case. And the other email was something along the same lines, but I'm not going to put too much focus on that because uh, that's quite boring. You've got to remember my blog is still new. It's in the early days, so I'm having to do some optimization. But I am working on a PFSense blog. I've just recorded a video installing PFSense to a Quota Mini PC. But now I need to go through the actual blog post itself. Now, I know other people in the privacy space have done this before. I have not read other guides. I've set up PFSense entirely on my own. So it may be that the way I do it is the same or similar. It may be not. But in essence, I run PFSense on a Quotum mini PC, I use VLANs. And the reason I use VLANs is so I can have different Wi-Fi SSIDs according to the VLAN. One of the Wi-Fi networks is for my kids. The other one is for general use around the house. The other one is for guests. But then I have my wired network, which is isolated from everything else for my PC. There's another one for Rocky. Oh, he's my robot vacuum cleaner by RoboRock. Now, most of you would think, well, you're meant to be into privacy. Why have you got IoT devices spying on your home? I wasn't going to talk much about that, but I particularly like this one because there's no camera. It uses LiDAR. So, yes, it can map the house, but it's registered in my alias name. So I kind of like it. I want it to leak out information, but it hasn't done that. I think they're pretty good. It works really well, certainly compared to uh, the previous one I had, which I think was iRobot. 
But that's isolated on its own VLAN, on its own Wi-Fi SSID, and registered to the alias name. So I don't really have any concerns there. But the PFSense setup for that is quite key. It has to support VLANs for each of the Wi-Fi networks. And the guide, I intend to show you how to do that. Now, I don't use WireGuard yet. I'll be honest, I've played with it. WireGuard is supported on PFSense. It is much faster, but I'm still not 100% sure on the security of WireGuard. I'm old-fashioned. You know, I started in the industry in the mid-90s, so I know OpenVPN very well. So that's what I'm sticking to. But also on my PC, I have the ProtonVPN client, so I will launch that, usually because of content restrictions. And not to bypass them with things like Netflix, that's not my, my problem at all. It's accessing sites in the first place. Cloudflare will block it. In fact, I was accessing some training the other day and Cloudflare just blocked me because I was on a VPN. So in those situations, I just launched the Proton VPN client. Despite the fact I'm already connected on VPN, it launches yet another tunnel to another region so I can access the content. You're not going to get the fastest speeds that way, but it's fine for what I need it for. On my travels, when I speak to work colleagues, family members, friends, they just want the convenience. And there must be a fine line, a balance in the middle. I'm not going to convince my uncle, for example, to put his device in a Faraday bag when he's at home, have an always-on VPN, do OSINT on himself to see where his data is exposed so he can remove that online, have his cars and vehicles in an LLC. He's just going to tell me that he's not worried about his threat and that's far too extreme and uh, he'll probably just laugh in my face. And as you will learn, certainly in future episodes, I'm a huge advocate of Nextcloud. In fact, I first started using that project in 2010 when it first came out as OwnCloud. It was the very early days. Um, I was on and off with the, the project, I'll be honest. But as far as syncing my data, I've been using it since OwnCloud and when it forked off to become Nextcloud. And I use it extensively. That's how I sync my password database between my PC, my laptop, my phone. That only happens on my local network. I don't have that exposed to the internet, but it gives me that level of convenience. And this is the type of content I want to share. Now, just to talk about why I do this and hopefully convince you that I'm not just uh, regurgitating other content out there. I moved to America in 2016 from the United Kingdom, which, by the way, I will be covering in future episodes. Privacy in the UK is... Different, they have UK GDPR, but still a lot of this applies. I remember the day in 2016 when I moved to the US and I met my new neighbour. And for some reason, the topics changed from cutting the lawn to privacy. And his response, word for word, was, yes, but Ray, your data's public anyway. And I felt like that was a challenge. I thought, no, hang on, just because it's public anyway doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. And that was eight years ago. In fact, just last night on Reddit, I saw someone post a concern that they had accidentally shared their driving license ID on social media. I think he said the photograph of him was very funny. He wanted to share it and didn't realise his address was visible. But I was actually more shocked at the responses. And they were, your name and address is public information. I wouldn't worry about it. And someone else said, yes, of course, it's public information wasn't too long ago, your name and address was in something called a phone book that everyone had in their home. 
But what is crazy about that line of thinking is when the phone book was in our homes in the 1980s and the early 90s, there was no internet in every home. Our identities weren't tied to this digital footprint that we have today. It was a very different world. But I do feel very strongly about the message we have as privacy enthusiasts and how we help people that wouldn't typically go down as deep as we have. I'll be honest with you, my daily driver, I use Windows 10. Now, you may be surprised to hear that as a privacy and security enthusiast, but let me tell you why. First of all, I use a project, an open source project called Simple Wall. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's by a developer uh, called Henry Plus Plus, I believe. And it's similar to Little Snitch for Mac. And basically, every process, every executable that tries to access the internet, it prompts me and I can allow or deny. I think it's very powerful. I also think it's easy enough to use that my father also uses it. And after a few days of, I wouldn't even say pain, but inconvenience, it pretty much goes quiet. Now, because I use Windows, I fully appreciate how much telemetry and spying Microsoft do. I use Microsoft Office, but I use it in a virtual machine, which is disconnected from the internet and isolated. I make use of VMware Workstation. I worked for VMware since 2011, by the way. So so virtual machines and hypervisors and uh, networking security is definitely my cup of tea. Now, because I use VMware Workstation, I have the ability to snapshot the virtual machine. So that Windows 10 VM that I use for Microsoft Office and other things, I always revert to a clean snapshot from the day it was installed, fresh install, regardless of what's gone on on that machine. Now, this is going slightly outside the scope of this podcast because certainly for OSINT investigations, you want to do something similar. You need a clean machine every single time. But I think it's a great way of achieving some form of privacy in Windows. Now, if you block too much on SimpleWall, Windows updates won't work, which I strongly advise against. You want to have Windows updates for security, but you can have some issues. To give you an idea, I'm just looking through my list now of what is blocked. There's a a process called devicecensus.exe, which is in the System32 folder. That's blocked. As you can tell by the name, that's more than likely something to do with telemetry on Windows 10. I also block Microsoft Edge Update.exe. I don't use the Edge browser. I never have done. I don't want it running processes in the background. So that's blocked as well. Now, there's other processes. I don't even know what they do. MOUSO Core Worker Process.exe. Uh, that's in System32, so it's M-O-U-S-O coreworker.exe. That's blocked. MMC.exe, that's the uh, Microsoft Management Console. Uh, takes me back to my days in Windows NT in the 90s. Um, what else have I got here that's blocked? Yeah, um, MSIexec.exe. When you install apps, the MSI executable will try and reach the internet. I always block those. If I can do an install of some software without it speaking to the internet, I will do that. Uh, Taskhost.exe is blocked and SPPEXTComOBJ.ext is as well. That's a KMS connection broker. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. This is something that's really reserved for my blog so I can get a bit more uh, detailed and list what I allow and what I don't allow. But the point I'm making is I think you can use Windows 10 if you're a privacy enthusiast. 
And you've got to remember the reasons I do this is I'm also, one of my hobbies is music production. I run uh, Pro Tools. I run Ableton Live. I can't use that in Linux. But do I use Linux every day? Of course I do. I actually have a machine called Dev. It's another virtual machine. It runs Ubuntu 22.04. And it's my development box. That's how I create my website. I do everything in Jekyll and static HTML. I can use Git to uh, push to my Git repository and it's served up by Netlify. Probably revealing too much there, but um, I use that Linux machine all of the time, but uh, I have to use Windows. Now, on top of that, I also like on occasion to play video games, but I don't have them installed on my main Windows PC. Well, I kind of do and I don't, let me explain. First off, for productivity reasons, when I'm on my PC, I'm working on something. I need to focus. I'm a big advocate of deep focus. Great book, by the way, by Cal Newport, if you want to look into that. But the other reason I don't want games installed on my PC is they're incredibly intrusive. Normally, it's the anti-cheat software, but they're scanning files, they're uploading file signatures, probably worse, and I don't want that going on on my main workstation. So what I do, I dual boot my Windows PC. I've got two uh, NVMe drives in there and I dual boot. So when I boot up, I have productivity or game. Literally the two options I've, I've labeled them. The productivity OS is encrypted with BitLocker. The game OS is just open. Um, the only thing installed on there, I think currently is Escape from Tarkov and Apex Legends. First of all, I have to be intentional about playing video games. I'm not going to get distracted when I should be working on something else, such as this podcast. But secondly, it keeps that separation. And this is something I've been doing for many years in my technical career. Strategies and frameworks such as Zero Trust will often talk about uh, segmentation and micro-segmentation. In fact, during my time at VMware, we had a, a product called NSX, which is a networking uh, virtualization platform. And micro-segmentation was one of the first things customers would do with it. Imagine in a corporate environment that they use virtual desktops and each virtual desktop is separated from another. Not one virtual desktop can connect to another. There's no need to. It's more than VLANs. You've got micro segmentation between each and every machine, even container services. Now, I adopt a lot of that mindset with privacy in my personal life. So I've separated my gaming with my productivity now, there's a version of Windows 10 I'd like to mention, which is Windows 10 LTSC. I believe that's long-term some support. Uh, I can't remember the exact acronym. Now, you cannot buy Windows 10 LTSC on Amazon or directly from Microsoft. But I have found CDW, which are a very well-known distributor in the US, allows you to buy Windows 10 LTSC. So I have literally just purchased a copy uh, they've taken my money. I'm yet to receive it. I don't know if it's going to be sent to me electronically or in the post, but I'm very much looking forward to this. And I'll tell you why. Now, I've worked with my corporate customers who have certain environments uh, that I can't mention the name of, but think air traffic control, hospitals, uh, industrial control systems, that they need to use Windows. Now, the great thing with Windows 10 LTSC is when you use it, there's no Windows Store, there's no Cortana. It's not filled with Spotify and TikTok and all those default apps that Microsoft bundle with Windows 10. But when you click the start menu, 
It's reminiscent of my Windows NT days. Uh, Solitaire is not even there, which is great. It's a very unintrusive operating system. Now, it still sends telemetry. So when I get my copy, I'm still going to be using Simple Wall and I'm still going to be running VMware Workstation uh, with my Windows and my Ubuntu machine. But what I like about using Windows 10 LTSC is it's incredibly uh, quiet from a bloatware perspective and also um, a bit more friendly to the privacy enthusiast. I will keep you up to date on that. I'm hoping the order goes through because normally order, orders of Windows 10 LTSC are reserved for these type of customers. So hopefully I get my copy and I'll have more to report on that. While on the subject of Windows 10, I thought I'd share which image viewer I use. It's actually something my father brought up. He wanted an image viewer which was fast, simple, not bloated, full of nonsense. You know, I remember back in the day I used to use ACDC, uh, which is a popular image viewer, but that became just far too much. All I want to do is view my images. So what I have been using is something called QView. Um, I'll put the URL in the show notes. So it's the letter Q and then view. And it's great. It just displays my images. I can use the cursor keys to scroll through them. There's no bloatware. There's nothing else going on. So I'd highly recommend that. Now, finally, on using Windows, something else I'd like to share with you is when installing software, when available, always check the signatures. There's some software called GPG4Win. Uh, go to the website gpg4win.org. Again, I'll put this in the show notes. If you download, let's say, VeraCrypt, you can download the .exe file for Windows and also a .sig, which is the signature file. This is going to be a future blog post, but essentially the way it works is you launch um, the GPG for Windows software. You need to import the certificate from VeraCrypt. This is what they use to sign their software. You need to trust that certificate on your machine. And then you can verify the executable you've downloaded has not been tampered with using that signature file. So it's a way of making sure you're not downloading uh, a fake copy. And the problem is with software like VeraCrypt, if you just Google VeraCrypt, you'll probably get a number of different results back. And I obviously don't trust that they're all the legitimate official source. Now, why did I call this episode imposter syndrome? Mainly because of the emails I received, people accusing me of stealing content from other individuals, which really is not true. But I'm not here to start defending myself. I'll let you listeners be the judge of that. The other reason is, for a long time, I've tried to fly under the radar and just have my blog quietly running in the background. Ironically, I've decided to launch a podcast in the advent of artificial intelligence, voice cloning and deep fakes. Why not? But this show does take a considerable amount of effort. Now, the imposter syndrome comes from the fact I'm doing something far bigger than I expected to be doing. And running a podcast is something I've never done before. Sure, I've done public speaking at events and things like that, but that's a, a quick 30 to 50 minutes and I can escape and retreat to the coffee shop when it's done. This is something I'm going to come back to over and over again. But if you think that all of this has been said and done before and there's nothing of value, let me know. I'm more than happy to get that time back and perhaps go back to my music.
you think for one minute, yeah, absolute bloody buffoon, I'm going to give you my bank details over the phone. Sir, please, I do not appreciate this language you are using against me, sir. I'm, I'm not using I've never used language. I've sir, not swore. You called me I a buffoon. Just... 